0: This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. No, yeah. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians, and we will start in chapter 2. And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand up. Uh, the gentleman in the rear will take care of that for you. Anyone at all need a Bible, just raise your hands. You will need it this morning, unless you've memorized the entire book of Ephesians. All right, yeah, Tim talking about these lives that are lost, and I would, I would say this to sort of open this morning... The futility of the mind, the human mind, futile thinking apart from God, and that's what you see easily influenced by the devil, and uh, then you have people doing the, really the unthinkable. All right, Ephesians, we're in chapter 2 to start, and let me just offer a word of prayer for the word this morning. Lord, we're here to hear from you. Our agenda doesn't even matter. What you have to say is of the utmost importance today to get our minds going in the direction they need to. So we'd ask for your mercy and your grace in this time of hearing, Lord. Anoint our ears to receive that which you have for us this morning, and we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, at the uh, mid point of chapter 2 in verses 8 through 10 we when I was with you last discussed these in depth and they say the following for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest anyone should boast For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So when we discussed this last, the reality that we came to was that I'm not doing anything to get saved. God is the one doing everything in my salvation. And it's not by works that I can do. Why? because I would immediately, in the futility of my own mind, boast about it, right? Hey, you know how it is when you do something good, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right, hey, hey, did you hear about that good thing I did today? Right, you know, hey, God, check me out. It's like, what? (sighs) We would boast, obviously, for that. And so it's by grace, not of works, And then maybe the most important idea in this thought is for we are his workmanship. He's the one working in you the changes that are necessary, not you. I'm going to give you some things to look for in your Christian walk today. This should be evidences not of you doing a good thing, but rather God working in you and causing good things to come out of your life. As a, a young Christian, I was, uh, I was one of those guys that when I hit my head, it triggered a landslide out of my mouth. And it wasn't an edifying landslide. And as time went along, and I shared this with another famous guy, Pastor Chuck. He, when he told this story, I said, oh, I'm like that. I'm like that. I was glad to hear that somebody else was as bad as I was. And it was Pastor Chuck, of all people. It was awesome. (laughs) But over time, a change occurred. And one day I smacked my head on something and I didn't cuss for the first time in my Christian life. And I was like, whoa, something's happening. God was working in me. So I say all this to keep you thinking about the fact that this is God's work, because what we're going to talk about next are the things that you should do, but you're not going to do them by yourself. The Holy Spirit is going to be working in you. So this is kind of like we're going to look at the things that God is going to change in your life, and it's going to be different for everybody. He's he's given us individuals uh, with different gifts. He's given us... Uh, we're created differently, we have different propensities for sin, but yet he's going to be working all in all in every one of us for his purposes. So jump over now to chapter 4, and we'll look at this idea of walking this morning. Walking is good exercise for you. If you go out on a walk, it will be healthy for you, you'll feel better, uh, you'll like these things. And so I'm just using the analogy of exercise. I want to think about walking spiritually. If you walk spiritually in a certain way, it is good for you. It's good spiritual exercise to walk your Christian walk in a given way. And we're going to see here how Paul lays that out for us. He says in verse one of chapter 4, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, he's been captured by the Lord. he's currently uh, in jail, but he's telling us, hey, this is how you should walk even if you're in jail for not doing what uh, not doing anything wrong. He says, walk worthy, I beg you to walk worthy of the calling which with which you were called and do it, in a certain way, look what he says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he says, look, I want you to walk in a way that's worthy, maybe better translated, Fitting. Walk in a way that fits being a Christian. Kind of get in the flow of what God's saying and doing in your life. That means you got to get into his word to know. The spirit works through the word in your spirit to produce the fruit of God. And so knowing the word is helpful that way. And he says, look, your walk should be characterized with lowliness and gentleness. Now, today, I cannot think of a thing more opposite from the world's way of walking. You know, they're blustery and loud and you got to show off and, you you know, you got to just be this, uh, this kind of advertisement for all the wrong things. Somehow that's good these days. He says, you, you walk with lowliness. How many people, I mean, think about the contrast here. How many people do you know at work tomorrow that if you were having a ca- casual discussion with them would say to you, you know, this weekend I was really working on being lowly trying to really fine-tune my gentleness skills. No, they're probably in a fight with somebody verbally or maybe uh, physically. uh, They were busy telling everybody what was going on. You know the game. But he says, look, you guys, as Christians, you should expect coming out of your life and you participating in the idea that I'm not as important, I'm not the most important thing. The other things are more important to me. Other people are more important than me. Lowliness, long-suffering, putting up with other people, bearing one another, he says, in a little bit. Putting up with other people. Now, what what I'm going to say next might come as a shock to you, but you're messed up. (laughs) I can just look around the room. You're all messed up. Every one of you. You know how I know this to be absolutely, unequivocally true? I'm messed up. Right, And if I'm the measure, you guys are you're in trouble. We're all messed up. We all have different foibles, problems, sensitivities. We all you know, think we know what's going on sometimes and uh, all of that. And yet the reason, and maybe you've noticed this, you know the reason why people get along so well in church for the most part? Because they recognize they're not the most important thing they're lowly. They're like, hey, you know, everybody's messed up. Let's just, let's work to get along together. It's funny to hear people on the news saying, we ought to just love each other and get along with one another. How are we going to do that if we don't have the Spirit of God? It's not going to happen. It'd be, you, I'm not sure whether to cry or laugh about it, right? People want that kind of a world, but they have no way to get to it unless they have the Spirit of God living inside of them. He says this, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's what we're just talking about right now. The idea of the church as unified because of the way we see ourselves. Walk worthy. When you walk this way, and look at, look at the oneness that Paul talks about here, verse four, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, Who is above all and through all and in you all. Now, talk about a statement on unity, right? God is completely unified in the Godhead. There's no, the whole, you know, Jesus is never saying, didn't you see that, Holy Spirit? What? What? There's never an argument. They're never out of step with one another, they're always in perfect unity. The Spirit of God works that way. And so for us, that's the example of us endeavoring to have that same unity in the church body. Now he goes on. He says, look, there's perfect unity, but there's also diversity. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Then Paul explains, now this he ascended, what does it mean that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all in all things. Like he's explaining that verse for us. And he says there is this ascension that happened in which Christ was placed all over all, and he gave gifts to the people in the church for work to be done. And when he says, look, he asked, look, assuming he ascended, it means something else. He ascended, yes, but he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. A lot of people wonder what that means. It's interesting, you go back in the Old Testament and you look at that phrase, and it, it's almost always used to indicate the womb of a woman. So Jesus descended. Some people think it meant he went down to hell. I have trouble reconciling that with other scriptures, but Jesus came. He was a man. He was real. He walked like you and me, and he ascended and now is all in all. And he gave gifts to men. Look at verse 11. He explains these gifts, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Why? Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. This unity it comes because God has given each one of us different gifts and is raising us up to do our part to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, when we hear that, we immediately think of a pastor, right? Yep, the guy who's get there every week and he's preaching and teaching and getting us, you know, cramming the word of God down our throats to try to help us to do what's right. I think of it this way, too. Some of you have children in this room. They're not in here with you right now. They're over there. And there's some crazy Sunday school teacher that's taking care of your kids, your kids, while you're in here. The equipping of the saints is going on right now thanks to those Sunday school teachers in there. I really appreciate those guys. He says this, this uplifting, this edifying of the body of Christ, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness Christ, of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed through and to and fro, <clears throat> I'm losing my ability to talk here, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. He says, Look, we need this unity in the body. We need the unity of understanding the truth. We need this giftedness to express the truth and make it available to be expressed because we don't want to be children. We don't want to be technos. We don't want to be young, unable to understand, unable to move about the world with knowledge because we'd be like a small child. He says, Rather, we should be taught, rather, we should no longer be that way because it ends up like this, being tossed to and fro. I mean, just from one thing to another, right? One fact to another, one issue to another. We're not, God isn't calling us to be that way. We have available to us the truth, and we can use the truth of the word of God to filter what we hear and see that's coming at us from every angle. And it comes, he says here, by the trickery of men. Look, it's not just that men are wrong, right? But they'll actually try to trick you into believing a lie so that their agenda can go forward. And I have about a million examples I could give you right now of people out in the world who are telling you something that is blatantly not true, hoping that you'll believe a lie, trying to trick you into believing something that isn't true. They're out there. They do it in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Hey, they're thinking it through. They're thinking, if we do this, then we'll get this response. So let's say this, even though we don't really mean that. It's sort of like a shell game, you know? They're moving stuff around all the time. We need to be able to see that and deal with it. For us, speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. We need the truth, not this other stuff, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Right. Ultimately, as we learn about the things of Jesus and we grow together, guess what naturally happens to us? We start to love one another more. Why? Because we're exposed to the love of Jesus. We see the needs of others and we're sparked by that love of Christ to help one another. He says, so walk worthy. Walk worthy of the things of Christ. It insulates you from the things of the world. It builds up the body. You get a place to uh, use your gifts. And he goes on in verse 17. This I say, therefore... And testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk. So he flips it over now. You should walk worthy. But now he says, hey, don't walk like this. How? As the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. I used that phrase earlier. That when he says the Gentiles here, we're thinking about the world, right? There's neither Jew nor Gentile now. But we're thinking about the world. In this sense of the church and the world, that would be a better uh, analogy perhaps that in our time frame. But don't walk like the rest of the world. They're walking in the futility, the uselessness, the inability to clearly think and discern the truth, the futility of their minds. And how, how is it that this plays out? They have their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. People today, when you tell somebody today that they should stop sinning, you might as well tell that pole in the middle of the room to stop being a pole. It can no more stop being a pole than you could change it from a pole. People can't stop sinning today. People want people to be good. Why can't people just be good? Because they're people. And as le- unless they have the Holy Spirit living inside of them and working in them, this work that we talked about earlier, they have no chance. They can't even grasp the truth. They get tossed around with every new thing that comes around. I think about this in terms of, you know, just the simple things in life that, that people can't understand. It says here further that being past feeling. They've given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. I mean, this idea of ex- exponential uh, growth of lewdness. I mean, look at our culture, man. You can't even turn on the TV if your kids are in the room. You got to be careful what you're turning on, right? You have to be careful of what's go- what's coming in from other avenues, the internet, uh, the Porn industry is a four and a half billion dollar B, billion dollar a year industry. Lewdness is rampant in our society. They they love it. They're, they're, They're blinded. They think it's good that we should continue on it. And they're greedy about it. But look at he says here, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. This is not you. If you're a Christian, that kind of futile thinking, that weird nonsense going out there that doesn't going on out there that doesn't make any sense to us, the reason it doesn't make any sense to you is because you have nothing to do with it. You have something else going on inside of you. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. You have learned Christ. So this other stuff isn't for you. And look what he says now in verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Two key things here, put off and put on. And the idea, the picture here that Paul is painting is that you have, imagine fellows, if you work outside, and I do, I work at a mine, so it's dirt everywhere. Uh, I mean, you just, all you have to do is show up at work, you're dirty before you get from the gate to the shop, right? There's dirt everywhere. Dirt's kind of important to us, has gold in it, so we kind of like it. But once you're done sweating in that shirt for 12 hours and it's covered with dirt, you come home and you take it off and you throw it to your wife. What does she do with that? <laughs> Don't touch me with that. That's what Paul is illustrating here. Take that dirty, sweaty, old shirt of the old man off and get rid of it. And put on the clean shirt of life in Christ. Put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness and holiness is something that God wants to impart to you by His Spirit. But you have a you participate in this by putting that on. There's an action, and what are those actions? Look here in verse twenty-five. Let's just we we'll use these as examples, but you can make them broader in your own life. He says, first, therefore. Putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Instead of being a liar, now you're a truth teller. That's an objective in your life. Now, hey, I'm working on telling the truth. I'm not going to, hey, look, it's easy to lie, isn't it? I don't know about you, but man, a lie will slip off of my tongue like it's greased. Boom. It's already out there. I didn't even plan it. It just happens, right? Maybe you've experienced that kind of thing too. I have to make sure that I'm telling the truth. It's a discipline for me. And look, I learned this lesson early on as a Christian. I hadn't been a Christian very long. Get this. I lied to a Sunday school teacher. I did. I'd only been a Christian a few weeks. And, you know, so there was still a bunch of the old man swimming around, right? And I lied to the Sunday school teacher and then my wife and I went to the service and I'm pretty sure somebody told the pastor that I lied because that's all he talked about for 45 minutes <laughs> I was pretty dismayed by the time that was over because you know that spirit the old man the new man they're having that battle inside the whole service I get back to the Sunday school room and I I said to the I said to the Sunday school teacher it you know, I, I got to tell you, I lied. She goes, I know. <laughs> yeah, it would have been better just to tell the truth. It would have been easier to tell the truth. Think how much less damage. I know we don't think this way, but the truth of the matter is, if you tell the truth, you're, le- you're less likely to get in trouble than you are if you tell a lie. It's just easier to tell the truth, but somehow we grapple with that. But we're not liars anymore. We're truth tellers. Make it an objective this week that when you're tempted to lie, tell the truth instead. Another example, he says this, be angry, but do not sin. You say, oh, I can be angry. This is all right. Yeah, it's okay to be angry, but you don't get to sin while you're doing it. That takes all the fun out of it, if you ask me. (laughs) If I get angry, man, I want to tear something up. I don't want to use self-control. I don't want to control my tongue. So this being angry thing just sort of lost all its flavor here. Don't, Don't be angry and let it lead you into sin. Look, if you're going to be angry, be angry over something that is worthwhile. And if you are angry, how do you channel that anger into righteous action? Right? You're angry with your kid because for the gabillionth time, That's not a word, really. For the gabillionth time, they did what you told them not to do. And now you're up to here with it, and you explode, right? Just give me any weapon within reach, right? I'm going to teach that this is it, right? But as soon as you grab the weapon, you're way past where you need to be, right? Beating the sand out of them is going to probably produce some short-term effect but it's not a long-term goal, right? Especially if they're like 14 or 15, they might be able to grapple with you for the weapon, right? The reality of the situation is that anger has to be channeled into a righteous, uh, resolving uh, situation where you bring about real change, not just violence. And look, I'm a proponent of spanking children. Don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. I think that if you're doing it in anger, you're out in left field. You need to call that back. If you're gonna discipline your child, make sure you are calm, cool, and collected before you do it. Otherwise, you won't produce, you won't produce what you need, what you want to see out of your child. Anger, gotta control it. Next one. Oh, and don't let me forget verse 27 here. Don't give place to the devil. In your anger, you can invite the devil right in without even realizing it because you sort of, it's been said that true anger is a loss of control of your mind. You've actually, if you're truly angry, you've lost control. It's a form, they say, of madness. So keep your cool and don't give the devil a place to work in your family or your life. Verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. Someone who's in need. Look at the the juxtaposition of those two things. You've got a thief which takes what he wants so that he can be gratified. And all of a sudden that guy stops being a thief and starts being a working, giving Christian. Whoa, What a change. That's what we expect of the Spirit of God in our own lives, is that you stop stealing. You make it a point to be honest in your dealings, right? All of them. Honest in all of your dealings. And then, you know, when you do that, when you're seeking uh, in that way to be honest, God provides for you, and suddenly you're able to provide for others. Right? You become a fountain of help rather than a, a consuming sort of needy thing that uh, you know, thinks about stealing in order to get what they want. It's not, not what a, how a Christian lives, not how the Spirit of God works in the people of God. Look at, let's talk about your mouth for a minute. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Your mouth, oof, even though you brushed your teeth this morning, your mouth, my mouth. How quickly we can use that thing in our head to slice somebody into little teeny pieces, right? Just naturally. I don't even have to hardly think about it. Corrupt communication, this idea of corrupt is rotten. The picture was fruit rotting in the marketplace by rotting fruit. You know, all those flies are flying around it and everything. Is your speech like that? Do you let that sort of corruption come out of your mouth? You shouldn't anymore as a Christian, but rather it should be what is good for necessary edification. Edification comes from the word edifice. It's a building, building things up. Does your speech build up the people that hear it? Are you busy tearing it down, tearing them down? Be careful what you do with your tongue. You want to impart grace to the hearers. This is an important concept because grace is what? Unmerited favor, right? When you show grace to someone, you're giving them favor they don't deserve. So in your speech, and I think especially with unbelievers, so many of you are like me, you're gonna to go to work in the morning, right? And you're gonna deal with people there. This is a great place to be a witness for Christ without ever saying a word about Jesus at all. If you give them unmerited favor when you talk to them, you build up the people around you because it creates, when you do that, it creates opportunities for you then to talk about Jesus. You know, you're saying, telling somebody, hey, that's a great job that you did, or uh, man, I like the way you did that, or whatever. You're busy building them up instead of talking behind their back or whatever. And when they, because when they, people like to respond in kind to that. So when they respond in kind to my graciousness by being gracious back to me, you know what I can do? I can praise the Lord. I can tell them, hey, you know, I'm blessed. God has really given me an eye for doing this, and I'm, thank you for noticing it. I'm just, I'm blessed. All of a sudden now God just got the glory in that conversation and they got to hear a little bit about the Lord. All right, your speech should impart grace to the hearers. Be careful with your speech because it can grieve the Holy Spirit, he says in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When you use your mouth, when you steal, when you lie, when, when, when you're angry beyond control, you grieve. The, whole, the Holy Spirit is actually hurt, grieved. Oh, man. You know how grieving feels, right? Word is used here on purpose. Hard, hard to think of breaking God's heart, isn't it? Hard to think of that. But yet that's in a picture of what we do to the Spirit of God when we allow ourselves not to be uh, changed by God and participate with that. Here's a laundry list in verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Put that nonsense off. I mean, think about all those little things in there. Uh, Evil speaking, you know, talking behind somebody's back, saying things that aren't true bitterness oh easy to be bitter when you're angry and then you can just add stay angry for a while you'll add some nice bitterness to it you'll really feel good then right not wonderful no put that stuff away he says put it away wrath anger wrath is just losing it okay anger we already talked about put it up put it all that away from you and all malice too malice is kind of the intent that you want to hurt someone Put that away. We don't have any place for that. Look, replace it with this, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The forgiveness that we bask in and thank God for. The grace that's working in our life. He says, look, spread it around. Be kind to one another. Work on this with believer and non-believer alike. It is the greatest witness that you can have in a world where people don't even want to, people don't want to be kind to one another. They're busy elbowing to try to get to the front themselves. When you're kind to other people, they notice it. They notice something is different. Tender-hearted, man. You know, we think about those people in these cities across the United States that have been, they've been harmed. These are families, they're going through it. They, they didn't wake up yesterday morning thinking that it was going to end like this. Tenderheartedness says, man, I care about that. And so, I, you know, we hear people, we don't want to hear about prayers and thoughts. Yeah, you know, we do. We do. Tim's right about this. We do. Those, that's important. That shows that we're tenderhearted. We're not so callous that we don't even care anymore. Oh, oh look, 29 people died. Oh, whatever. What's for breakfast? We actually care. Tenderhearted. So these are some of the, these are some of the characteristics that I expect to see coming out of you if you're a Christian, right? And what, is, what do I say that? What do I mean by that? That means that you have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You have said to Him, Lord, I am wrong. You are right. Your Word is true, and I don't care what it says. I'm going to give my life to You. You're going to. You promise to pay the price for all my sins. In return, I give my life to you. That kind of person, that saved person, will then be filled with the Holy Spirit, and this is what we should expect to see coming out of them. I'll challenge you this week. Read chapter 5 as well. We have more walking instructions there. Walk in love. Walk as children of light. Walk circumspectly. Kind of keep reading on this idea of walking uh, with the Lord and see... Uh, the wisdom that will really uh, minister to you, I think. But I want to divert now to this idea of futility of mind. I think it's really appropriate for today uh, that the Lord put this on my heart last evening about being tossed to and fro. The futility of man's thinking today, and we'll, we'll put that up against knowing the truth of the Word of God. I... You know, we're, it's, a, it's a back and forth, this picture of being tossed to and fro like waves. I was with my grandchildren over at Cowabunga Bay yesterday and we were in the wave pool. So I have a fresh, you know, wave crashing over your head kind of feeling about what I'm saying. You know, the water is going back and forth. You're up then you're down, and up and down. Think of this now in the futility of the mind of man today. Oh, just, we just go in crazy directions. I remember, I remember when eggs were bad to eat. Then eggs were good to eat. I remember brush your teeth this way. Oh no, brush your teeth this way. And those are funny examples, right? But we can't seem to make up our mind on the simple things, but then there's other things too. You think about uh, today this idea of global warming, right? Right? Global warming. We're, we're told today that that you know I, I think of some famous person recently said that we have 12 years left. I don't know where they got the number, but we got 12 years left. It's almost over, right? Well, first of all, I'm pretty sure it's not almost over because the Book of Revelation doesn't mention global warming, so I'm not sure that that's the apocalypse coming to a theater near you, right? So. But I don't know, if if you're gray-haired enough, I remember as a young boy reading the cover of National Geographic magazine in 1970-something. That's a long time ago now, huh? I remember reading the cover, The Coming Global Cooling. Big picture of an iceberg on the front, and we're all going to die in the next uh, mini ice age. They were sure of it. But then somehow somebody turned off the freezer and turned on the heater. And now we're going the other way. Now, I'm not getting into a debate about whether man has caused that or not. I just like to filter things via truth, right? I have the truth of the word of God, so I filter by this truth. So here we are, they're telling us it's almost over. So I start to evaluate what the they is saying, right? My favorite... uh, uh, truth that wasn't truth, is a gentleman from the, ni- from the 1990s, Al Gore, you probably know who he is. He said, and you can look this up on the web if you wanna know if I'm telling the truth or not. He said in 1996 that by 2010, Florida would be underwater, that the ice caps would have melted, we wouldn't know what snow is anymore in Great Britain, it, it, was, it was just gonna, all gonna go away. Now, I like predictions. Bible's full of them, right? So I'm into predictions, you know. I like Bible prophecy, that's good. But if your prophecy doesn't come true, what do you know about the prophet? He's a liar. He's not a prophet at all. So when you see stuff like this happening, and I, I said that maybe more strongly than I... No, I guess I did mean it that strongly. <laughs> you Look, if you want me to believe... Your truth, it actually has to be true. Otherwise, I'm tossed about to and fro. I'm done being tossed. I'm not a salad, right? I'm done being tossed. I have the truth of the word of God. And if what you say isn't true, then I'm not going to believe it. I'm sorry. Here's an even more, I think, essential to right now today reality in this same vein of being tossed to and fro. The issue of transgenderism. Now, I'm not pastoring a, ch- a church anymore, so I can talk about this stuff, and then I'm going to go home, <laughs> right? Um, and Tim will deal with the outfall. I say that tongue-in-cheek, obviously. This is a hot-button issue today, folks, and I know that people are struggling with what does this mean? What, is, what, is, what, are, we, what are we believing and thinking, and how, how did we get here? And look, this thing of transgenderism, it's a thing, right? It's called uh, gender dysphoria. And some people, some people actually experience this confusion, especially at a young age, about whether they're a boy or a girl, whether they're male or female. I think maybe boy or girl is a more accurate because pretty much you're either male or female, right? A, there, there aren't any more options. So, but people struggle with this concept of gender. And uh, now these they're being tossed to and fro. I don't know what I am. Look, let's go back to the truth filter. In the beginning, God created male and female. Just two. Just two kinds. And he did that for very specific reasons. We won't jump into that this morning, but the concept is that when I I need to boil down what's going on around me, male and female are the way God made us. And so if you're struggling, if you're a male and you're genuinely struggling with, uh, I feel like a woman, hey, that's a real thing. People have that, but... The truth is that if God made you a male, guess what he wanted you to be? So maybe you're struggling, and it's okay to have that struggle. Maybe you're struggling, but the real answer to the question is, God, you made me a man. I feel like this, but you made me a man. Would you help me to understand your purpose for my life? See, now nobody's throwing any rocks at anybody. God's the one who's going to do the changing if that soul genuinely wants to know you know that God's going to be there to help them and to help them see his purpose for his life so we're done being tossed to and fro but that doesn't mean that we're angry at anybody or hate anybody or we're anti-transgender or anti-gay or anti-this or anti. those are all labels that get stuck to us you know by people who don't know who we are or what we believe. Hey, God loves everybody. He died for every human being that will ever exist. He loves them. Far be it from me to ridicule or to say that that person's bad or whatever. Right Now, if they start doing something else, you know, if they start telling other people, well, I don't care what God says and that's right, now we had a problem. But the soul, that's what we're worried about. No more being tossed to and fro. We know the truth and we get to be uh, those people who live the truth each day. Let's take a minute and pray, shall we? Lord, we, we desire to be not the judges of the world, but we, de- we desire to be knowers of the truth and people who walk in that truth each day. And Lord, you've shown us in your word this morning how it is that we should expect the Holy Spirit to be working in us to walk. What we should be seeing, the, the changes that you're producing in our life, Lord. And then we, Lord, ask today that by the Spirit of God, you would help us walk in that newness of life. That we, would, that we would become a, a shining light to the people around us at work tomorrow. To the people at the mall or the restaurant or wherever we go, Lord, that, that we would just be, just by knowing you and you working in us, that God, people would see. We ask, Lord, that you continue the transformation. And I... I would say to you this morning uh, while we're here seated you know I know everybody that's here obviously but you heard me talk about a what a saved person is. Who a, a, who a person is that knows Jesus. They're a person that is, has admitted they're a sinner. They know that they're headed to hell and they know that they need someone to save them because they can't save themselves. That's what a a person who comes to know Jesus realizes and Jesus' blood and body given on that cross pays for their sin. And because of his work there, hey, you're headed to heaven. You might be saying, hey, I I don't know anything about being saved, uh, but I know I need to be saved. Because look, the reality is you're headed to hell if you don't know Jesus as your Savior. I didn't say that. That's what the Bible says. So I want to give you a chance this morning. You know, maybe you're just your guts in a knot and you don't know what to do. I would say to you this morning, turn to Jesus. I'd like to pray with you right now. In fact, that if you'd like to know him as your Lord and Savior, I would pray for you right now. All you have to do is raise your hand and I would pray for you right now. Anyone at all, you're tired of living in this unknowing, crazy doesn't make any sense life and you want to know the truth. Anyone at all? Lord we thank you for the truth. As we prepare to take communion now Lord we ask that you would uh, cause our hearts to draw near and to really think about this truth of salvation. We ask it in Jesus name. You guys can come and retrieve the elements and uh, then we'll take them together when you have